Hi, Gary Zacharias here with the Apologist Bookshelf. Let's take a look at a different book today I haven't talked about before by Natasha Crane. That's C-R-A-I-N. It's This one's called Talking With Your Kids About God. Now, she did another book that we did uh, a little while back called Keeping Your Kids on God's Side. This one came out in 2017, and it has an interesting introduction by Sean McDowell, who says this book is so crucial because it deals with questions that kids are going to need answers to. And Sean says, keep in mind, you don't have to be the expert. The book is going to equip you for what you need to be able to share with your kids. And it says, start as early as possible. Don't wait. Kids are going to have these questions. And third, he said, just do what you can do. Just doing some of these conversations is better than none at all. So I thought that was really good advice. And then when Natasha starts the book, she said that she came up with a blog first. It's called, uh, still in, around, called NatashaCrane.com. And uh, she said she, she knew she wanted to raise her kids in a Christ-centered home, but wasn't really sure how to do that. And so she says she started the blog hoping to just meet some like-minded parents and just exchange some ideas. But her readership grew, and people started sharing her articles with friends online. And then she said all of a sudden people got a hold of her name, and she said she got a lot of challenging comments from skeptics. Things like, can you really believe in miracles? Look at all the evil and suffering around here. God seems like a tyrant in the Old Testament. Hey, don't you know there are a lot of contradictions in the Gospels? And on and on. And she said... She had spent so many hours in church and in Sunday school, but she said she wasn't really prepared. And she said that she realized, whoa, my kids are growing up in a really different world than the one she grew up in. And uh, so she said she launched an in-depth study. She knew she was over her head. So she started studying Christian apologetics to make a case for and to defend the Christian faith. And finally, she was able to pull together enough information to make that website a place where she could equip other parents. And she said it's become her passion. And today, of course, this is 2017, she said something like 250,000 people each year read her blog. Well, my guess is it's grown more than that. She has some provocative, interesting topics that she deals with, and she has some good insights. And so she talks about that first book, The Keeping Your Kids on God's Side. And then she said that covered things like the area of God and and truth and worldviews and Jesus and the Bible and science. And so she wanted to continue with further books. I mean, that's a lot to cover. Uh, So it kind of skims across the surface. She said she wanted to start doing books that would dig into one of those major subject, subject areas at a time. So that's where this book now comes in. Remember, she said she covered God as well as other things in her first book. So this one, she wants to just focus on God. She says, things kids need to know to understand God. And so she says she puts conversation guides at the end of each chapter, and I'll show you that in just a minute. So let's take a look at one of her chapters. I'm going toward the end of the book. This is uh, chapter 26. Here's the call. Hey, do we really have free will? And so she talks about her husband who works with gospel rescue missions, and she said over the years she knows countless people have been impacted by these missions. They've changed their ways of thinking. They've, they, they've been captive to so many bad ideas and bad habits, and they've broken those, and they've decided to give their lives, lives to Jesus. But that means she believes, and her husband believes, that people do have the ability to choose a different life direction. But do we really have free will to do that? 
Well, there's a lot of argument today that, no, it really depends, doesn't it, on whether God exists. And so she says, well, what if we're nothing more than molecules in motion? In other words, there is no God. Well, what would follow from that? Well, life wouldn't have any value, and life wouldn't have any objective meaning. And, here we go, there's little reason to think that we would have the ability to freely make choices. Because, after all, if, if all we are is our biology, then all our decisions are driven by our physical impulses. We're, in a sense, shackled by a physical law. And she said that's not just her talking about it. It's not just one or two people, but she shares several quotations here. I wanted to uh, let you hear them. Evolutionary biologist Jerry Coyne, pretty well-known person. Here's what he had to say. To assert that we can freely choose among alternatives is to claim we can somehow step outside the physical structure of our brain and change its workings. That's impossible. Okay, do you hear that? You can't step outside the physicality of you to make a choice, so that's impossible. Here's a plant biologist, Anthony Cashmore. The reality is, not only do we have no more free will than a fly or a bacterium, in actuality, we have no more free will than a bowl of sugar. Wow. Wow. So, you and a bacterium, huh? Molecular biologist, Francis Crick, co-discoverer of a DNA structure, Watson and Crick, he says, you, your joys, your sorrows, your memories and your ambitions, your sense of personal identity and free will. Notice that your sense of free will. He says, all these things are in fact no more than the behavior of a vast assembly of nerve cells and their associated molecules. So do you see what he's saying there? It comes down to it. It's simply a behavior of nerve cells and molecules. And then she ends a series of quotations here by William Provine, who's a Cornell historian of biology, he says there's no uh, human free will. He said, if you believe in evolution, you can't hope for there being any free will. There's no hope whatsoever in there being any deep meaning in life. So if you buy into evolution, you can't hope for there being any free will, he says. But we think we're doing free will choices all the time. But she says these scientists are telling us it's an illusion. It's a material world, according to them. If it's a material world, we can't escape our biology. That's determinism. So if that's the case, then we can't assign moral responsibility to our actions, can we? Those actions were determined. So what happens to blame and praise? Those are meaningless concepts. A person couldn't have done anything different than what he or she already did. So why would you praise somebody who ran into a burning building to pull somebody out compared to somebody else who set that building on fire. Those are my examples. These aren't hers. But, I mean, think about it. If we are programmed, we'll either run into the building or we'll set that building on fire or we'll, we'll just watch. But that's all been programmed. Isn't that something? So that's, that's a pretty startling idea. Now, she moves then to, well, what about free will if there's a God? Okay, so she's telling us what is being said from the atheist perspective. But she says, you know, in a theistic, not atheistic, but a theistic worldview, we have very different conclusions about free will. From a Christian perspective, after all, the Bible teaches us that we have the ability to make choices. And not only do we have that ability, but we're accountable to God for the choices that we make. She gives some examples here from the Bible. John seven seventeen says this, 
Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. What did Jesus say? Anyone who chooses to do the will of God. And then in James, I'm sorry, here's 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he'll provide a way out so that you can endure it. So you could be tempted, and if you can be tempted, it means you had some choices, good choices and bad choices. James 4.17 says this, If anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. He doesn't say, if you know you ought to do something but you don't do it, oh, well, those are just your, um, that's just your biology, just your molecules, just your nerve cells acting up. It's just the chemicals inside of you. Don't worry about it. That's not what James says. If you know the good and you don't do it, that's sin. And then the Bible has verses indicating that we are going to be held accountable to God, which is pretty uh, chilling. For example, Matthew 12, 36, I tell you that, this is Jesus talking, everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. We're going to have to give account. How about this in Romans 14, 10 and 12? We will all stand before God's judgment seat, then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So, of course, the question comes down to this. If all things are under God's control, which we believe as Christians, how can people make free choices? And she says that we see difficult cases in the Bible, which it appears that God sometimes overrides the human will. And she gives examples in Exodus 7, John 6, Romans 8, and Ephesians 1. She said, boy, you can get into some heavy theological debates here about God's sovereignty and human will. But she says, here's the problem. God didn't explain the mechanics of that. The Bible teaches both. God's sovereignty on one hand, and our responsibility on the other. She says, so Christians hold these truths in balance, trusting that the mystery exists because we don't have God's infinite perspective. We don't get the big picture. You know, that's something that I find really reassuring because there's so many times that I scratch my head, I don't know what's going on, and I have to trust because of the things I do know about God. I have to trust Him in the areas I don't know about. And there's an area we don't get. How can God be sovereign and how can humanity have a moral responsibility? And she then talks about the difference that God makes. And she said, people in general, if they believe in God or not, they normally give all sorts of considerations or daily behaviors. They feel that they're genuinely deciding things in their life. And she says, for Christians, these choices have great moral significance. If you believe in some kind of free will, it it fundamentally shapes how you live. And then questions come out of that. For example, what should we do with our lives? What's our responsibility to other people? How do we make sense of evil? We ask those questions because we as Christians presume that people have the ability to make the choices that matter. Christians believe programs like the rescue missions that she mentioned before, that these programs are important because you offer them to people so they can make a choice to follow Jesus, to turn their lives around, no matter what they are, what's going on chemically inside of them. She says people are not molecular robots at the mercy of their machinery. We're invaluable people. We're made in the image of God. We can choose to enter into a relationship. And she says, in fact, in a Christian worldview, the key free will decision we all make is how we're going to respond to God. All right, well, then that's the information, the new information in the chapter. 
She then follows it with a section called Key Points, which is good because then it's sort of a summarizing all of that. And then, like I said, she has a, a section at the back, back here called Conversation Guide, and she breaks her conversation into three sections. So let me share those with you so you can see how every chapter works in her book. So she has Conversation Guide, three things. Open the conversation, advance the conversation, and then apply the conversation. So in this case, open the conversation. So she says, here's her question, just to get people warmed up and kind of thinking about the topic. Do you think robots and humans make choices in the same way? Why or why not? All right, so that just gets everybody thinking. And then she has a section, advance the conversation. She says, if God didn't exist, people would just be made out of physical stuff. It would be like a biological robot. She said, if that was the case, what do you think that would say about our ability to freely make choices? She also, in the same area, advanced the conversation. She asked people to read to her kids, to their kids, John 7, 17, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, James 4, 17. Those are verses that I already shared with you. She says, what do these verses tell us about the biblical view of human choices? Of course, they're telling us that we, are, we have the ability to choose. And then she says, read Matthew 12 and John 12 and Romans 14 and 2 Corinthians 10. What do they tell us about the importance of our choice? It matters because we're going to be held morally account of them. The last question under advance the conversation, from a Christian perspective, what do you think is the most important choice a person will ever make in life? Well, she talked about that, didn't she? The most important choice we'll ever have is how to respond to God. Then the last of the three parts to the conversation guide, she calls apply the conversation. She says, um, read to your kids the quote from Francis Crick in the chapter. And that's, let me go back and uh, share that with you. That Crick quote was, you, your joys, your sorrows, your memories, your ambitions, your sense of personal identity and free will are in fact no more than the behavior of a vast assembly of nerve cells and their associated molecules. So she says, Talk that over with your kids. If that's what you believe to be true, how do you think it would affect how you live your life? Oh, it would change things big time, wouldn't it? So I highly recommend anything that Nat Natasha Crane puts out. Her website is wonderful. These books are terrific. I still have another book or two of hers that I want to share with you. So uh, again, Natasha Crane, talking with your kids about God. All right, well, thanks, and I uh, hope you have a good rest of your day, and we'll do another podcast soon.